Psalm 127 verse 3 says children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. But where does that leave women who cannot have children? Today we'll hear how Sarah has grieved through her own infertility and find out how God's grace is working in her life. Oh, can't you see that grace carried me? Welcome to another podcast of Carried by Grace. I'm your host, Mary Spoonauer. Today, I have my first in-studio guest, Sarah. Um, Sarah is with me today to talk about a journey of infertility. And I know that's something that so many women deal with. Um, I think it's different for everybody. God does his own thing in his own time. When we get married... We all come into it. If you want kids and you want a family, you just assume we're going to have kids. And a lot of times we're going to have them on our schedule and we're going to, maybe we want to wait a little bit. We want to do this and that, and then we're going to have some, but we all kind of have this preconceived idea of how it's going to happen. And that's almost never how it actually works. Even if you end up having a large family, it's not always how it works out. So, um, how did you and your husband, Mike, start out in your marriage, and where were you headed in your mind? Sure. When we got married, it was 2013, and um, we were both coming from separate congregations that both believed and supported large families. Um, neither of our churches or us personally believed in preventing pregnancy, um, and kind of like the hot-button question before we got married, and it was more of a test question and almost a joke than actual, like, relational building, per se, um, was, oh, how many kids are you going to have? And at the time, my husband would joke, um, perceiving that it was a test question and having a great sense of humor, he would say, oh, we're planning on about seven in five years. (laughs) And as much of a joke as it was, that was kind of our mindset, that we would have, um, that we'd have a lot of kids Uh, close together, and young. So three months into being married and not being pregnant, I was aware that the statistics were working against me, Um, specifically because I'd never been on birth control or prevented anything. So I was like, oh, three months, that's kind of the danger point. And then six months came, and I was like, wow, if we don't get pregnant in the next three to six months, it's statistically unlikely that this is ever going to happen. Um... I think it was at about nine months that we went to a doctor and um, she said, oh yeah, you, this is not, this, you don't have a uh, ovulating cycle. We just need to get you on some Clomid and you'll be good to go. So I did a bunch of research and found that um, while Clomid is the frontline drug, it wasn't something I was comfortable using. So we decided to pursue more naturopathic Mm -hmm. routes for fertility care. Um, and really tried to address what we now know is a hormone imbalance. Early in my infertility journey, I had a really hard time listening to people talk from the other side of the story. I was like, but there's nobody basically between like year one and year five for me in infertility because I'm we're nine and a half years married now and we've never not been trying. I was really frustrated with the amount of people who wrote about infertility 
after they had their miracle baby or after they had like five or six kids um, that they went back to talk about that pain. And I was like, that's great that you can talk about it now. But what do I do? Right. Because you're right. 20 years past that moment. And what do I do if I don't have kids? Right. Like, what does that look like? And how do you carry this heartache without without it going away? Yeah. And I never felt like I actually found that person. Yeah. Perhaps because I stopped looking in anger. I was like, yeah. never mind. I don't have the emotional energy to keep looking for an answer because... The answer is not going to be in someone else's story. Yeah. Because um, mine just doesn't look the same. And the answers that I were, was looking for were in Christ, not in someone else's story. What about your husband? How did he handle, like, I, I know it's hard to speak for him, mm-hmm. you know, but how did how did that work for him? And how supportive was he with you going through all of this? Because even though I know it's hard on the man, um there is just something different as mm-hmm. a woman um, not being able to carry that life. It's just a different thing. Yeah. In a sense, he had a piece about it. Um, and I think how he how he said it then was that he would be okay. That, that he would be okay and happy as a couple, as a family between the two of us. That he would feel whole whether God gave us children or not. And at the time, that was really painful because I felt like he was saying it didn't matter to him. Right. And that wasn't what he was trying to convey. He was trying to, like, be supportive and encouraging and say, like, we're going to be okay. Um, And it just didn't feel like that to me. So I was like, well, you just, you don't care. You just don't get it. And I look at it now and say he did everything he could at the time with what he, with the tools he had then. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're different tools now. So... When he sees me going to a dark place now, he can pull me out and say, like, hey, here's the truth. Stop listening to those lies. Don't tell yourself that. For the most part, I think that there has been pain. But in a sense, knowing how much I was hurting, he couldn't give himself permission to show me any of his pain about not having kids. Um, It was just something that he felt like it would be too heavy for me. Yeah. To know that he was hurting. And I think sometimes that's common for the spouse that the one who's going through the most suffering kind of gets the most attention. And so the spouse of whatever it is that you're suffering through, um, a lot of times they kind of just deal with it on their own um, because they don't want to put extra burden on you. Did you struggle in your marriage with it? Um or did the Lord allow you guys to just kind of grow in it together? That's a hard one because I can't do it both ways. There is a sense in which it's both. Um, we have kind of come together and fallen apart a little bit in different seasons of mm-hmm. the grieving. I would say um, I did not grieve well early on. Um, I fell into a lot of uh, depression and just darkness as I really lost my sense of self. Um, I had always known who I was and that I was going to be a mom and not having any outlet for that was really just shaking. I didn't, I didn't have a sense of who I was without that. Is it Elkna said to Hannah? Am I not more 
to you than Seven right. Sons. But I could see that feeling in him and how crushing it was to him that I was in such despair about the, like, what I perceived as my physical failing mm-hmm. to carry life. Um, yeah. Especially when we lost babies. Like, that it wasn't just an issue of, like, there's something wrong between us that we can't conceive, but there's something physically wrong inside of me that I can't carry sure. the life that was there. Right. Um, so it was it was hard for him to, like, not be enough, but then for him also to, like, learn to recognize that the truth in life is that you're not enough, and you never will be because you're not God, um, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And to kind of grieve the life that we thought we would have and move on to a life that we do have and the twists and turns that that brings. Um, so there was a sense in which there was a really close togetherness um, because in a weird way it was like we were the only ones who knew that we were what we were going through. Right. Um, he was the only one who knew how crushed I was. And I was the only one who knew how that was affecting him. So he did not often run into in, in new social, social circles or, you know, out and about. He did not often run into, how many kids do you have? Um, it would come up, but then it wasn't the conversation. So whereas for me, when you know we met new people, the question was, how many kids do you have? Right. And if you said, oh, none, the next question would be, Either why not, or when are you having them, or, you know, something that led into, well, actually, we're trying, and it's been, like, years now, and it's just not happening. Which always led into lots of suggestions and advice about how to, you know. I have this green drink for you, right? Yes. (laughs) Two things that I, I was thinking of as you were talking about that, and that is that, you know, even though... In our society, it's different than it used to be years ago. We read the stories of Sarah or Hannah, um, and it was just a way different story. In their life, they were, I don't want to say shunned, but it was really a social It's ostracizing. Thing, yeah, to not have children mm-hmm. and be 80, 90 years old mm-hmm. and you've just never been able to have children. Um, in today's society, sometimes you choose that, you know, I know of couples, they just don't want them or, um, so it's not as much that way. I think still in the Christian community, it is a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we, as women have a tendency to feel that way, even if other people maybe aren't putting that pressure on us, we just feel worthless because for those of us who want to have kids, and be a mom and that's kind of always been our dream and then when that dream is taken away from you you feel like well what good am I then Mm -hmm. I'm not worth anything and I think something that no matter whether it's an illness or infertility or maybe your marriage something that falls apart in your life you had mentioned grieving that and I think that that's a process that we have to go through at times is grieving the loss of the life we thought we would have Mm -hmm. And that sounds really strange, but there's a process of being able to just let yourself mourn. Mm -hmm. 
and also letting yourself move past that Mm -hmm. and accepting the life that you've now been given. And you have to, sometimes you just kind of grow with it, but sometimes you actually have to let go of the dreams that you had Mm -hmm. and the hopes and surrender that. Was your family and Mike's family, were they fairly supportive for you? Did they you know, have your back or did you feel like it's us two against the world? (laughs) Maybe Um, a little bit of both. (laughs) I guess it's probably a bit of both um, in that both of our families are very supportive, but infertility is a really difficult thing to support because it's a very private journey. Yeah. And even, even though our very private journey was a very public one because the circles that we were in would ask, and there was enough people that no nobody was asking, like no one person was asking every time they saw us. But anytime we visited my church of origin, I guess I could call it, someone would ask. And so it became really hard for me to go back there because it was such an in-your-face thing. Um, and because we had been very open about, you know, planning to have kids right away. Um, my hubby was very insistent that we did not lie because very early in the trying process per se um I said I I just want to tell people we're not trying I I want to tell people we changed our minds and decided that we're going to wait a while because I don't want to have to talk about this every time I can't do that and he said lying is a sin we can't lie you you can just say I don't want to talk about it I was like that's not how it works for girls because girls conversation doesn't go the same way as guys and personality wise I'm not capable of just like saying I don't want to talk about that right now I just feel and women don't usually take that well right because no. they're like why don't you want yes. to talk about it yes and and I did try several times saying like I like, I'm in the middle of a potluck and I was actually having a good time not thinking about how yes. my body is just a death trap so maybe I could not talk about that right now not that the death trap thing is true. That was just the emotion. Yeah. Um, and I, I could brain through that for a while. Yeah. But after a time, it got too heavy. And I couldn't speak truth over my own lies anymore. There was there was a sense where, yes, our families were very supportive and they wanted to be there for us. But they didn't know how. And some of our family had um, dealt with secondary infertility, which is not being able to conceive after having a child. Mm-hmm. Which is a very different process. Um, specifically, it's a very different emotional process for people who have primary infertility because we can look at someone with secondary infertility and be like, but you, but you have a child. Uh, your, your body did do its job once. Right. And that's still hard not to do it again. And I'm not denying the pain of secondary infertility when I say that they're just two different, I guess, two sides, mm-hmm. two different sides of the same coin perhaps. Um, but that is a, a difficulty in that I could I could talk to that person um, on a lot of levels but also there there's a difference between primary and secondary mm-hmm. so um, and sometimes in in the ugly stages of grief it doesn't matter how much someone can relate to you yeah um, specifically it doesn't matter how much they can relate to you if they're not there still mm-hmm. it's like yeah but you got your answer you got your you got your Samuel. That's great to talk about how Hannah prayed. Yeah. Are you are you suggesting I haven't prayed? Right. That that's 
great to talk about how Sarah was 99. I don't actually want to have a baby when I'm 99. <laughs> well, it does say the Lord gave her extra strength. So we know that was a special thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I see that for sure. And so you said you're nine and a half years mm-hmm. in. Have you come to a place of acceptance or maybe partial acceptance? You still have moments where like, I think I've got this. No, I don't. Yes. I would say I'm afraid to say yes. Right. Um, Because that's when it will turn on you, right? Yeah. And and I guess that's probably the most honest way to answer that is I would would say I'm afraid to say yes. Um, I'm 30. Technically, I could still have a couple years to have babies. I don't see the Lord working in that way. He could surprise us. I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled to carry a child to term. I, I think he has shown me other good works that he has prepared ahead of time for me to do and given me purpose in them. Um, but there's also an emptiness to a lot of non-mothering tasks for me because I don't believe my calling has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I begged him for for years was, why are you calling me to mother and denying me children? We were, my husband and I were not on the same page about adoption or um, foster care or any other forms, not even like babysitting or daycare. We were just never on the same page about any of them for about seven years. And so for that time, I was like, Lord, why are you calling me to mother and then denying all of my avenues to do that outside of mothering? If you want me to be a mom, why are you not opening the door for me to do that? And if you're closing all the doors for me to do that, why do you not take that burden off of my heart? And I still don't really have an answer to that. I don't really know why why it took eight years for him to give us the avenue, for, for the Lord to put us on the same page as far as that goes, um, specifically through foster care. You know, our goal as foster parents is not to adopt every child that comes in our house. We don't know if we ever will adopt any of the children that come through our house. People assume if you pursue adoption or foster care, then, oh, well, you must not have been able to carry kids. And it's just like, okay, fine, I fit the stereotype. Yes. <laughs> but that wasn't my heart. I've had a heart for adoption and foster care since I was a child. Um, and I can see now looking back that I would not have been emotionally ready to not like to do it in a in the way it needs to be done. I would not have been emotionally ready to support reunification three years into our infertility journey. So how did you and Mike get on the same page? Because as you've mentioned, you're now in foster care and praying, you know, that the Lord might open other avenues for you. But even foster care, as it is with reunification, you're still you're still a mom to this yeah. These kids, they need a mom because there's doesn't isn't at a good place right now or whatever. So you still get to be a mom. Mm-hmm. And um, how did you get to that place then? So it's kind of a funny story. Um, my husband and I had joined Green County EMS together in I want to say it was 2016. It was right around that same time, maybe a year after we had joined, that he had been like, I think I'm ready to look at the at adoption and like what that would look like and start figuring that out. So we started looking and it just sort of, it didn't even fall apart. It just didn't go anywhere. 
Um, and not in like a we were fighting about it kind of way or anything. It was just, it sort of just sat there and we didn't, it didn't really come up again. It didn't really, it didn't really not come up again. It just didn't, nothing happened. Maybe a year later, it, it kind of came up again and um, looking at it. We sort of decided that we wanted to pursue foster care instead. Started filling out the stuff for a different agency that we had, we both felt really good about working with. Um, and then we hit a brick wall between us. I was like, we need to say yes to zero to 21. And he was like, yeah, no, we're not taking anybody that can talk. <laughs> and I was That's like, yes. <laughs> huge separation there and neither of us could budge he was like you would rather not do it at all than say yes to a limited age group it was like the weirdest thing because when he said it that way I was like yeah actually yeah I would I would rather not do it at all than to say no to older kids um I, I can't do that and so it's that for about another year and it was the strangest thing because neither of us were okay with it sitting, but neither of our minds were changing. Um, but it wasn't like a constant point of contention. It was just a like, the Lord gave us like total peace about not being at mm -hmm. peace with it in a weird way. And so it waited. And then sort of out of the blue, a mom who we were connected to through some external stressors, I guess you could say in their life, called to to ask if their um, almost 17-year-old had called me or had reached out to us at all. And I was like, no. She was like, we can't find her. So we talked almost every day for a week until they did find her. Um, and then like three days after she came home, the the mom called me again and said, would you would you take our, our child? Um, the county says she can't stay here. It's like there's just too many things going on right now. Would you guys consider taking her? And I was, like, listening to the voicemail, I was, like, not sure if she meant, like, for the week or the weekend, but it felt like longer. Like, that was just what it felt like, even though she wasn't necessarily clear about it. Weirdly, I was, like, almost, like, shrugged it off because I was, like, well, Mike is just going to say no. So we're walking into the house and I'm, like, hey, babe, so-and-so is wondering if we would take a child. And he's, like, take, like, for the weekend or, like, foster care. And I was, like... She wasn't super clear, but I get the impression that it's more of, like, a foster care thing. And he was like, sure. <laughs> I, I literally sat down um, on our deck, like, going into the house. I was like, what? I mean, like, she'll be, she's going to be 17 in, like, two weeks and obviously has, like, you know, has stuff she's dealing with um, that's not going to be, like, that's not going to be easy, you know? And he was like, how could we say no to that? And I was like, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. I just didn't expect you to because, you know, she can talk. <laughs> she doesn't wear diapers. She can talk. And he was like, but, it, but it's her. How could we, how could we not? I was very flabbergasted that he so quickly, and and he never changed his mind about that on every, on any level. It was... It was challenging, but probably the best, like, hard yes we've, like, difficult yes we've said to anything in our marriage, I would mm -hmm. say. That was, that was our first foster placement. 
Um, and I was absolutely shocked. <laughs> I love how we pray for stuff. And then when God actually works it out, we're amazed. So let's talk about in the really dark days, those days, especially probably in the beginning when mm-hmm. you were realizing that this is what it's going to look like. What kinds of things did the Lord give you that really mattered, that kind of stick with you and still encourage you? And I'm afraid I'm somewhat disappointing in that, like I said, I grieved very badly. Um, I tried for years to, to find an answer in scripture and what I felt was God's silence. And I can recognize some of that now as essentially as like it was a me problem that that God wasn't silent. I just didn't want to hear what he was saying then. Um, and some of it, I, I never felt he was absent. He just wasn't giving me any answers. Um, and he did allow me to go to a dark place. There were many days when I sat on my bed with my Bible and the notebook. And above my Bible and notebook, except my gosh. I was like, Lord, I do not want to do this. I, I don't want to do this. And he just said, no, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to tap out. And he never gave me a, a clear answer in scripture as to why I couldn't. But he never gave me permission to follow through with any suicidal ideation. There did come a time that I was at a, was at a girls retreat and I was there as a photographer. And I didn't really want to be there. So it was the prep day and they, the leadership team was doing a meeting before they did some of their decorating and like team building activities. And they wanted pictures from the decorating and the team building activities. So I was waiting for their spiritual meeting to like wrap up. Um, And they were all sharing like what the Lord was doing in their lives and where they were at spiritually and things they were struggling with. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that, like, sit around the table and cry thing. I'm so sick of being the one that makes everybody cry because I can't lie about things. So I was sitting against the wall, refusing to participate. Relationally, it was noticed because I grew up with a lot of the people who were there and they knew that that wasn't me. Um, so it was awkward and I didn't care. I was like, yeah, I'm just not doing that. Um I had drank like a gallon and a half of water so that I wouldn't have to stay in any particular conversation. I would have the excuse of having to go to the bathroom, which you, I did a lot of. You planned then. that. <laughs> yes, yes. There's some manipula- manipulative skills that grew that weren't necessarily healthy, but were coping mechanisms. Um, and I was texting my husband like, I, they're all sitting around crying. I just want to go. I just, I just want to leave. I think I'm going to go get a Duncan. I think I'm going to. He was like, you don't need more coffee. You need, you just need to talk. You just need to go participate. Um, and he texted, he said, like, I'm literally begging you. Please just talk to somebody. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. So I'm sitting against the wall and the Lord is telling me like, go. Like, I'm telling you. Like literally I've been sitting on my bed crying, begging you to answer me. And now you tell me like, go talk to them. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the pity party. And I, like, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just this clear, okay, I'll see you next week. And I was like, good. 
because I'm done here. And it was such a clear thought. And essentially what I felt in that moment was, you can disobey. You can just not talk to them. That's fine. You will lose reward and you can hold your babies next week. And that was it. It was like, okay. And it should have terrified me because I had a plan. I had the means. I didn't care. It should have terrified me because I had my permission. And he said, but that's not what I want. And I was like, fine. Fine, I'll go talk to him. But I'm still coming home next week. I think I literally opened with, I don't want to be talking right now. But my husband literally begged me and the Lord said I had to. So I basically opened with, like, I don't want to talk to you guys. I don't know what the Lord is doing. He hasn't answered me until today when he said I had to talk to you. Um, and of course, then said, like, my baby should have been born. Um, it, it's the anniversary of our miscarriage. She should be three months old right now. And I, I, I just feel empty and angry. And I didn't even know I was angry until I said that. And, of course, everybody cried and I hated it. And the Lord gave me Lamentations 3. Everybody loves Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. But I had never heard anybody talk about the 20 verses that precede it. Just the anguish that precedes, um, yeah, I will praise him. And verse 24 says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will put my hope in him. And I sat in Lamentations 3 for the next year. Because while I really felt like the Lord pulled me out of a pit that day, it was right there. I felt like I went from being lost inside of it to like walking around the outside trying to jump back in all the time. I was like, okay, but can't I just go back there because I, I don't know what to do out here. And very slowly over that year, he healed some of that hurt. And not in clear ways that can be, like, identified necessarily. Um, but slowly, he gave me other... He put value into the other things that he'd had me doing. Because in the in that time, it wasn't like I was always just sitting around at home doing nothing. I stayed busy. Um, I looked for ways to serve and to, um, like, build relationships and, and be busy. It was just all... All of the things that I did that should have had great value to me, that I enjoyed doing, that I had fun with, that were good things to do, they all felt empty. And very slowly after that day at the conference um, that I wasn't even a part of, after that, he, he slowly started putting meaning and showing me that, you know, the good works he prepared ahead of time for me to do were his choice. And it was my job to do them not complain about what they were. I think that was, what, three years before he brought our first foster daughter? Um, and so by the time that came around, essentially I had my feet under me again. I think, thinking about it over the last week, one of the big things that he's taught me is to see pain. Um, and not just to see it from afar and be like, wow, that's messy and that, that looks painful, but to have a heart of compassion for for so many different 
parts of brokenness. To really see all of that brokenness as a symptom of the dying world. And to see that you know, th these are the consequences of our sin. And our sin separates us from God. And without him, there's no hope. Um, I would never have been able to relate to the hopelessness of um, depression and suicidal ideation had I not walked through those dark waters. I would say I never didn't have a heart of compassion for pain, but he showed it to me in a way that I didn't recognize as I was walking through the, the darkness of those days. Um, and I think in some ways, had I grieved better, had I had someone to say, like, this, like you're not crazy, you're, this hurts and it stinks and you're not crazy, I maybe wouldn't have buried it so deep. Um, most of the people in my life could, what they perceived was a bitterness, a bitterness setting in. And it wasn't so much of a bitterness as it was just hiding pain. Um, just, just burying layers and layers of pain because I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and I didn't know how to talk about it. So anybody could say, Hey, I've been there. You're not crazy. Right. Yeah. That stinks that much. Um, you know, you're not crazy to cry in your bathroom every month because it is just that disappointing. I didn't know to call someone and say, hey, I'm going to go take that test because my period is two weeks late again. Yeah. Will you just wait on the other side of the or will you come over? Um, and by the time I knew I needed that, I wasn't strong enough to ask for it. So I, I would say, you know, to anyone who thinks they may be at the start of a journey like this, start calling people, build that network now while you have the strength so that they know you well enough to come when you don't. Yeah. In grief, there can be a lot of lies that that mock. Um, specifically in fertility, there's a lot of mocking. The, the number of people who get pregnant when they don't want to yeah. feels like laughter. Yeah. Um, and the way that people are flippant about pregnancy in our culture feels like mocking, or at least it did for me. To find someone who will speak truth over the lies and say, you're not broken. You are fearfully and wonderfully made as much as you hate to hear it right now. God has a purpose in this pain. Suffering is never for nothing. And to start speaking truth over those lies and you know, pulling them out of you. Um, and that that's a hard one because when you're believing it, you don't know to say like, hey, here's, here's a lie I'm believing right now. And we find the truth in the word of God. We look to his word. What does God's word actually say? And sometimes that seems like, but that doesn't pertain to me in this situation. <laughs> um, Satan will also tell you that lie. And so you have to consistently fight back. And it's hard when you're doing it alone. Mm -hmm. um, you've given us a couple of tips for other women who are going through dark times. Um, maybe not infertility, but just those really dark emotional places um what kind of counsel would you give to a woman in your state what what things would you tell her i think perhaps to someone at the beginning of their journey i would say don't don't freak out it this this might be your story but your story might look more like mary's where you have a time of waiting and god opens your womb and you have a house full of children that you yearn for. Um, you don't you don't know God's story for you until you walk it. And he is faithful regardless of how he has written your story. 
I have fallen in love with the phrase, and if not, he is still good. And even if, um, even if God does not give me children, I will praise him. And it has to be something of a rally cry or a battle cry for me. Um, because I, I sometimes have to fight for that. And I have found great solace in music. So find some battle cry yeah. songs and and don't feel bad to play them on repeat or to play them really loud yeah. or to sit in your car and cry to find the praise. Um, there is a lot of healing in praise alone because it takes us outside of ourselves and fits fixes our gaze on Christ. Peter looked at the waves and sank. When we look at our pain, we sink. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's really overwhelming. But Christ can be found in the midst of that storm. For someone further along, I guess I would say look for the good. Um, he says, good work's prepared ahead of us for us to walk in. And he has good works for you to do. Um and that emptiness or longing that may or may not be there for for children is his to carry. That passage that you read in Lamentations, and there are others in Psalms that mm-hmm. use that same phrase, the Lord is my portion. I have that underlined in several places because it reminds me like if if I'm handing out portions of food to my kids, God is my portion. That's the thing I get. Mm-hmm. And he has to be enough. And it doesn't matter what you go through, what struggle you're facing. God has to be enough. And that's a really hard place to get to. I hate having to get there. Mm-hmm. I don't like the journey. It's um, not a journey I want to take. I want the easy life. I want everything to be perfect and planned and the way I like it. And it almost never is. And we have to have... The Lord just be enough. He's your portion. He's what you get. And that should be enough. Let's talk just for a second before we end to the people who are around those <laughs> with infertility. Let's give some advice. What to say, what not to say, when to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I would say that's probably the biggest just thing. Keep your mouth shut. And it's hard because it's very, it's so personal. So I, I guess I would say, like, acknowledge the pain, but don't press to talk. Don't don't acknowledge the pain and press for the conversation in a group setting. Oh, After church is not an ideal time to have a deep and painful conversation in general. Um, so maybe ask, ask them over for coffee or whatever is most appropriate. I would say maybe even just a note in the mail. Right, that they don't have to necessarily respond, but to let them know I'm here if you want to talk, mm-hmm. because not everybody wants to. Some people are just super introverted and they don't want to go there yeah. with you. Um, but to let them know that you're praying, mm-hmm. that you love them, right? Yeah, and one of the frustrating things can be the multitude of people who are like, "I'm praying that you have a baby. That's nice. What if that's not God's plan? What right. am I going to do? Right? If those prayers are no's." Right. Um, so I have, I have very much appreciated the few people in, in, through my journey who have said, I'm, I'm praying for your heart. Um, I'm praying that God holds you close through this season because it, it gave, it left the door open 
for God to keep my womb closed and to still show himself faithful. Things like that have been more beneficial to me. I know a few women who just really needed people to pray for them to conceive. Um, and that's okay. It is okay to rally your prayer warriors on your behalf. That There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but especially as time has gone on for me, I've really appreciated the people who are praying for my spiritual health and for, um, for our marriage, for those, the other elements outside of just having a baby. Because honestly, just having a baby doesn't fix it. It doesn't erase the pain. It doesn't, um, it doesn't replace babies lost through miscarriage. Um, there, there is a pain and a grief journey that doesn't just go away if God gives you a baby. Um, and that is something that I have really come to appreciate because for a long time I thought it would. It's like, oh, that, that would like make all of this better. Um, and, and that's not how grief works. You can't just, like, can't just highlight and delete the years of pain before a joy. Uh, and so to really appreciate and delight in that joy, you have to grieve well. Um, so I would say to people walking alongside, um, I was always bothered by looks of pity. Um, so if someone was, if I was holding someone's baby, which I actually stopped doing because of all of the looks of pity. So I, I stopped holding babies because anytime I was holding a baby, someone would be like, oh, you're, you're so natural with them. I, I just keep praying that God will give you your own or even just the like smile and head nod with, you know, the crease of the eyebrow that says, oh, that's so sad. Like, no, actually it's happy. This is <laughs> my, nice. I like it. My friend yeah. had a baby and I'm happy for her. Um, I hurt for me, but I'm happy for her. So um, try to avoid the looks of pity, I would say. Um, I don't think we always have to know how many kids do you have and when are you going to have some. That's honestly none of our business, ladies. We don't need to know that about other people's lives. Don't make that the first question you ask, you know. Yeah. How about how is God working in your life right now? What is he teaching you? How are you growing? Let's move beyond some of those shallow requests and questions and let's dig a little deeper. You know, sometimes I think that we need to grow in our Christian walk just in these small areas mm -hmm. and not, you know, not looking at the surface. You're always going to have some kind of struggle. I don't know anyone who's gone through this life without something in their life that has been super hard or tragic or just a real difficult journey. You're going to have it. So let's move beyond, Lord, take this away from me and mm -hmm. fix it. Let's dig to the little bit deeper. How can I draw closer to you? And let's help our friends do that um, to help them to grow closer and see the Lord beyond the struggle. And I think when you're in it, um, you were talking about being in that pit and then circling the pit. Um, it's really hard to step outside of that and look at it from a higher vantage point. Mm -hmm. I think of the psalmist who talks about being in a high place. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times that is because when you're on a mountain or when you're in a high place, you can look down on it instead of being in it. Yeah. And we really need that perspective. Psalms 62, 61 verse 2, I think it is, says... 
when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that has, over the years, become a great comfort for me. Um, as I have gone back to the Lord and said, okay, I'm really overwhelmed again. Just those things where I am really overwhelmed again to, to take me to the rock because this is drowning me. And then to have the freedom to say, like, I don't know. I don't know what he's teaching me. It's going to be something. I just can't see it yet. Yeah. Find that rhythm in your prayer life where you can take that pain and that anguish to God and lament it. And then come back to praise. Yeah. Because he is worthy of praise. No matter what we face, God's grace will carry us through. Use his strength for your journey. If you know of someone who has a story of God's amazing grace working in her life through hardship, we would love to hear from you at carriedbygracepodcast at gmail.com. Join us again next time as we continue to grow and are carried by grace. Oh, can't you see that grace carried me?